so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the ERLC Podcast. This week we'll hear from Jim Daly. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. It does not say kind to most people. We act in that way. It's like we don't know the scripture. Yet be kind to people who appear on Fox News. That's not what it says. Be kind to everyone. Able to teach. Patiently enduring evil. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Issues of human dignity are at the forefront of our culture, and Christians should be on the front lines, calling for the sanctity of all lives. At the First Evangelicals for Life conference, Jim Daly, president of Focus on the Family, gave a message titled, Focusing on the Family, Why Being Pro-Family Includes Being Pro-Life. He draws from his experience with a broken family to explain how we need to engage our culture with the message of the gospel. We hope you enjoy this message. You know, even with the words of Dr. Sharon Ford, who I am proud to serve on the team at Focus with Dr. Sharon Ford, let me tell you. Um, She has cried so many tears for children. And uh, it cuts so close to my heart because I was that kid. I was that kid. Um, You know, my mom and dad divorced when I was five, and my dad was struggling with alcohol and threatened to kill my mother one night, and the police officers came, and The lights, just like in that video, were flooding into the bedroom window at our home, and and, uh, they handcuffed my dad and took him away, and that was the end of our family. And then a few years later, four years later, when I was nine, my mom had remarried, and uh, she died of cancer. And our stepfather left the day of her funeral, and it just gets worse and worse. I went into foster care. During that time in foster care... uh, There was a a moment about six months into it, and the foster father accused me of trying to murder him, which was totally a lie. And I can remember being a nine-year-old thinking, am I the only guy that knows the truth in the room? And there's all these adults, and they don't see it. So I feel very closely the stories that Dr. Sharon Ford talked about and that scenario she painted. I was standing in the back of the room listening to that, I feel it in my heart still as a nine-year-old boy. And uh, I ended up moving in with my father, who reconnected with us, still struggling with alcohol. And uh, I lived with him for a year, and then he died at 
age 12 for me. So there's been nothing but pain. But I will tell you this, as I mentioned uh, in the opening remarks yesterday. For my mom to have had an abortion, which she contemplated legally in California, being a woman of 42, she could have had me aborted. And my father talked her out of that. (laughs) My alcoholic dad. Isn't that amazing? But I can say with certainty that the path my mother chose was a far better choice for me. She had me. She could not have understood what God was going to do with my little life. She probably worried about me dying in that bed of cancer, trying to figure out what's going to happen to her nine-year-old. But you know what? God had me in the palm of his hand. And I think he has every one of those 100,000 that Dr. Sharon Ford talked about in the palm of his hand. The question is, Will people step forward from the church to embrace them, to be there for them? You know, for me, I ended up moving in with my brother, who was married to a 16-year-old at the time. He was 19. Imagine that household. I remember I, remember I was 12, and I would say to my brother's wife, Hi, Mom. She was four years older than me. I was thinking... We're about the same distance in age as you are to my brother as I am to you. But I tried to call her mom. It felt a little awkward. But I went through junior high and high school. I played football. I had a wonderful football coach, Paul Morrow, whom I just saw four days ago in Phoenix, Arizona. And he was the one that sponsored me to go to an FCA camp, Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp, where a man, <laughs> it, we played football all day, which was great, and then we had to listen to boring speakers at night. And this guy got up in front of about 50 of us football players, and he said, have men let you down? Has your father let you down? Has your foster father let you down? I literally thought he was going to say, has Mr. Real let you down? I mean, that was my foster dad. But it it felt addressed to me. And I remember he said, I know someone who will never let you down, and that's Jesus Christ. And I went forward as a 15-year-old. And when you look at those string of events, for me, it just, again, proves the point that God is in control. Isn't he? We're not in control. We want to be. We act like we are, but we're not. And what God calls us to is to love our neighbor. And that means that foster child. Little Jimmy, did he really try to kill that, that foster dad? No. There's probably two or three of you that think, maybe he did. <laughs> I didn't. Um, but God cared, and he cared through the love of his people around me. That's how I felt it. And that's how I came into the kingdom of God. You know, uh, we did um, a video or not a video, a commercial for the Super Bowl, uh, Tim Tebow. Do you remember that, Tim and Pam Tebow? How many of you saw that in 2010, given it's football season right now? You know, it's so amazing because we wanted, first of all, I don't think many Christian groups have done a Super Bowl ad um, because basically it'll bust your budget if you do at about $3.5 million for 30 seconds. But we had a handful of donors. This was off budget. I made a handful of phone calls, and they said, we're in. Let's do it. And so we created this ad, and we kept quiet about it because we thought that was the wiser strategy. We didn't need to pound our chests and to 
thump the other side. <laughs> they did a good job doing that for themselves. They picketed CBS. They uh, went on news programs and said how horrible focus on the family was. In fact, one, one woman, Jamal Green, I think her name is, she gets, she's on Fox frequently. So we, we were debating. I was in the studio in Colorado Springs. <laughs> and her first opening remarks were, focus on the family falsifies ultrasound results. They have phony doctors that they place in these clinics. I'm thinking, who are these rotten people? They're not, it's not us. <laughs> you know, but she just... You know, she was just coming right at my jugular on the, on the news program. And I'm thinking, don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. So I sat there, smiled. And then we had a discussion about life. And at the very end, I'm thinking, Lord, I need a zinger. What can I say? I remember it hit me. And I said, Jamal, I'm just so glad your mom chose life for you. And she went, because where could she go? I'm not. That doesn't work. I am that doesn't work. And, you know, so often uh, the Lord beautifully modeled how to do that, didn't he? He didn't go after the jugular except with the religious people of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. With the world, he was direct, honest, and truthful. But there must have been some gentleness in how he expressed it because the world responded so beautifully to his admonitions. In fact, let me play that Tebow ad for you because it was so fun to do and we got to squeeze all we can get out of three and a half million dollars. <laughs> so let's play that Tim Tebow, Pam Tebow ad. I call him my miracle baby. He almost didn't make it into this world. I can remember so many times when I almost lost him. It was so hard. Well, he's all grown up now and I still worry about his health. You know, with all our family's been through, we have to be tough. Timmy, I'm trying to tell our story here. Sorry about that, Mom. <laughs> you still worry about me, Mom? Well, yeah. You're not nearly as tough as I am. <laughs> so the next day, what they came out with, those that oppose life, they said, see, they're all about abusive women. Is that great? They don't realize that took place at about this speed where Tim picked up his mom, walked through the camera, and then set her back down. <laughs> Abuse of women. I thought, oh my goodness. But you know what it showed? It showed the power of truth. And that's what we need to be about. We don't need to be aggressive. We need to simply express the truth of God's word. You know, in Colorado Springs... We recently had that shooting at a Planned Parenthood clinic. And I think now, watching the local news and hearing some of the uh, comments that this person has made, he's not mentally sound. So I want to preface my comment in that regard. He is not there. Yet, when he talked about being a Christian and that was what was motivating to save babies, of course the media pounced on that, with no disclaimer. And uh, my only thought in that regard is you know what God looks at? He doesn't look at the label. He doesn't look at people that say, I am Christian. He looks at their heart. And he looks at their actions and their deeds. And I would only say, uh, and I am guilty of this, especially when I have been engaged with people on the other side of what I believe. I tend to look at them as a monolithic group, whether it's the gay activist community, the abortion community. I see them as one clump. And you know what the reality is? They see us the same way. 
when they are here in Washington, and I'm sorry to be so bold, but I think Jesus was bold in this regard, and they see people from a particular church, even though they use the name Baptist in their name, but they stand there with derogatory signs toward people that are demeaning, dehumanizing. I question what God they believe in, because that is not the God that I know. And we need to be bold enough in the Christian community, those who believe it, convictional Christians, to say that is wrong. And I'm doing my best as I meet with people who don't know us to break that monolithic view of us, that we are not Westboro Baptist Church, if I could be so bold. We are not the, the, the one, the preacher online, who is saying, I have a solution for all the homosexuals, put them in a... A fenced-in area, one mile long on this side, one mile long on that side, and we'll helicopter food and water. This is coming from a pulpit in the United States. That is wrong. His idea was after a year or two, all the gay people will be gone. That's not the gospel I know. In fact, let me pull out a scripture that guides me, which is 2 Timothy 2.22. Give me a second to read it, because it's important. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. It does not say kind to most people. We act in that way. It's like we don't know the scripture. Yeah, be kind to people who appear on Fox News. That's not what it says. Be kind to everyone. Able to teach. Patiently enduring evil. Correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Isn't that awesome? We see these folks as our enemy. We use that language. They're the enemy. I have written, I have reviewed direct mail pieces that use that. I apologize. I'm trying to not ever do that again. Because these people are POWs. Prisoners of war. Spiritual battle. But they are prisoners. They do not see the world the way we see it as Christians and believers. So when I uh, heard about the shooting, just to paint a picture for you, from my office, New Life Church, where the funeral was held, it was about a mile up the road. And it, this funeral was at dusk for the University of Colorado, Colorado Springs officer, police officer who was shot by this man. He was a good Christian man, this police officer. He had actually been to Thanksgiving dinner with one of our Focus staff members, Hortensia, who helps clean the executive wing at Focus. And uh, many staff stood facing New Life Church, and they saw about a four-mile stream of cars supporting this officer that had been shot at the Planned Parenthood Clinic in Colorado Springs. 
And our hearts break for that family and the other two who lost their lives. Nobody in the pro-life movement should justify killing in the name of life. Do you guys agree with me? I hope so. And we we need, as a community of believers, convictional Christians need to proclaim that. We do not support a person doing that. And we condemn it outrightly, always. And to the media, I'd only say, don't see us as a monolithic group. Just because somebody wears the label Christian, it doesn't mean they are Christian. It's a label. God looks at the heart. You know, civil engagement is so important. And we have to do it with the scripture in mind that I just read, 2 Timothy. Um, The abortion community talks about making it safe, legal, and rare. So, you know, I'm a simple person. And I went on the Focus broadcast and I said, knowing that some people in the abortion industry listen to the program (laughs) to just figure out ways to get at us, I said, hey, if you're in the abortion community and you believe in abortion, yet you talk about making it safe, legal, and rare, I'd love to meet with you. (laughs) Because I agree uh, it's legal. I don't agree it's safe. Somebody dies in the process. But if you're really wanting to make it rare, I'm willing to work with you. Now, boy, did I get some knives in my back from our community. How could you do that? But where could they go with that? I had two phone calls. I'll keep the names confidential. Uh, Both from the abortion industry. Middle management, I would say, to describe it. They met with me separately. They, they knew of each other, but they didn't know the other one who called me. The first meeting I had, Kelly Rosati, who's been emceeing this effort, was with me in the meeting. And this person came into my office literally trembling like this. Probably in her 50s. And I said her name, and I said, are you okay? And she said, I'm really nervous because my friend said you're going to put a voodoo hex on me. And we chuckled like you. She did not chuckle. I said, well, what do you know about Christianity? Not much. I only know you want to kill us. So we spent a half hour sharing the gospel, Kelly and I, sharing the gospel with her, giving her quick church history. She had no knowledge of it. We think people understand who we are. They do not. They only see the shooter in Colorado Springs or the uh, clinic bomber. And that's what they think of Christianity. So you have to deconstruct that. That is not who we are. That's not who Jesus is. So we talked it through. And frankly, we're still in communication about what can be done to reduce the number of abortions. And I'm not going to apologize. I had Christian leaders write newsletters about me meeting with people like this. And they said, Jim Daly loses his principle when he meets with people like this. They're not in the meeting. They don't even know what's going on. So this woman left Focus's office about 4.30 in the afternoon. She drove home. And her husband of 27 years left her a note saying, I'm divorcing you. And had already cleaned out all his stuff. And who did she call? Yeah, she called us. Isn't that awesome? She called Kelly and talked to Kelly. And Kelly, you've seen her as the MC, and she's done some presenting. She's an amazing woman. 
four adopted foster children, all with difficulty. And she walked with this woman through that situation. Probably eight months later, after this woman's divorce, she sent me a a note and said, I've never seen a human being love another human being the way Kelly has loved me. I had lunch with her a couple of months after that. And at the end of the lunch, I said to her, where are you at spiritually? And she said, oh, I knew you were going to ask me that question. (laughs) And she said, you know what? I am moving closer in your direction. I've left the organization's name. I've left them. I'm trying to figure out what's happening. But she said, you've really thrown me a curveball because I didn't know there were Christians like you and Kelly. And believe me, I said right away, there are millions of people like me and Kelly who claim Christ. And I just think it's a beautiful example of what we need to do. Don't fear them. We have nothing to fear. We act like we are fearful and lacking confidence in who God is. I'm telling you what, as an orphan kid, as a kid that grew up the way that I grew up, sometimes with no food, yes, I made up for it. (laughs) Dr. Sharon Ford is right. Now I understand. (laughs) But I'm telling you what, I have absolute confidence in my God. I can walk into that room with an abortionist, a gay activist, smile and say, I know one thing. I am no different than you. The only difference between us is my heart is open to Jesus Christ. And my prayer is that yours will be as well. I had one gay activist say to me, who are you? After I said that to him. He's now a good friend. And I'm not embarrassed by that. He sent me a note. He was going for heart surgery. And he said, I just wanted you to know about it. He's going to uh, Bill Clinton's heart doctor. And I sent him a note back and I said, well, now that you sent me this note, you know I got to pray for you. Smiley face emoticon. (laughs) And he sent back a note and he said, I was hoping you'd say that. You're moving me closer to the heart of God. Folks, let me tell you this. You don't have to go out of your way to be hated. Let the gospel be the offense, not your personality. (laughs) So the results of that Tebow ad, this was the blessing of blessings. So we got a phone call in our counseling department. Now we handle about 75,000 counseling calls a year. We get about 2,000 phone calls a day into the Focus on the Family call center. And then some of those get forwarded to the counseling department. So we received this call the day after the Super Bowl ad ran from a woman named Susan. And she said, I'm pregnant. My boyfriend and I were watching the Super Bowl. I saw your ad. My boyfriend has said he's going to commit suicide if I don't abort the child. Think of that. You think of a woman, a a 20-something, 30, any woman. In that kind of position where the boyfriend, the husband saying, if you don't abort your child, I'm going to kill myself. But she said, I watched your ad over and over and over again. And I went to your website. We had additional material, additional testimonial from uh, Bob and Pam and others. And she said, I decided to keep the baby. So Evita, 
was born. And there are two other children. I'm going to start calling them our million dollar babies. Because <laughs> there's no price tag. There's no price tag that can uh, outrun the worth of a, of a child, of a human being. I God will spend anything, I believe, for a child. We've had other people call to say that, you know, focus has uh, helped me save my baby. A woman who was going to her abortion clinic to get the abortion stumbled onto the radio program. And that day, you talk about God's timing, that day we were talking about the issue of abortion and had a woman on who was talking about her pain and suffering because she had made that decision. She pulled over, dialed up the clinic, canceled the appointment. That child is now one year old today. Is that crazy? It's awesome! So as we move forward in the campaign, let's use the momentum that the Holy Spirit has already provided. Keep your humanness at a minimum. Keep the Spirit of the Lord at a maximum. Step back and watch the Lord crack the hearts of those you're engaging. It's no accident that Jesus said, love your neighbor. We kind of, yeah, it's a great little song. No, no. Jesus said, love your neighbor because he created that DNA in us. That when you love somebody, no matter their beliefs, their temperament, something irresistible happens. They can't get enough of what you're talking about. They want to hear it. They may not agree with it. But we as a church need to regain the art of discipleship. That means you get messy. It means you roll up your sleeves and you meet with people who don't think your way. We have created ghettos. We have built the moats as if we're going to save our culture from them. I think Jesus is the one pushing us toward them. Engage, engage, engage. And we're having the debate about whether it's Christian or not to engage them. Really? That's ridiculous. Let me close with a couple of other uh, little social media ads that we just did at Focus on the Family. I don't even know if you can access them yet, but I think it would be great if you can. I'll try to talk to the team to see if you could use them in your campaigns. But uh, Sharon mentioned the theme of SLED. It's a counseling approach that clinics use. And we have picked up on this to winsomely describe the arguments for our side of life. So let me show you two of those right now. All right, so there's been a lot of talk about this recently. People debating whether or not this is a person, a valuable life, a, a human being to be protected, or something that's more easily disposable. I've heard a lot of people say, how can something so small be a person? Well, I'm just curious. Why can't something so small be a person? Let's think about it this way. We have three different people here, all different sizes, all different ages. Is the smallest person less valuable than the bigger person just because she's smaller? So what makes this any different? If size has nothing to do with the value of a human being, how can we say that the life inside of a womb is of less value simply because it's smaller. Seems pretty clear that personhood is not defined by size. 
So there's been a lot of talk about this lately. Because, frankly, there's a lot to be said about this little guy right here. His cute cheeks and his button nose. Anyways. I've heard this question a lot. How can something that's not even fully developed yet be a person? Imagine if your development or abilities determined your value as a person. We'll take this duo here, for example. One of them, well, he's practically Einstein, and the other, well, she's getting there. But just because she's not as developed as he is yet, does that make her less of a person? So what makes this any different? If our abilities or our level of development don't make or break our value as human beings, how can we say that a life inside of the womb is of less value simply because it's not fully developed yet? Seems pretty clear that personhood is not defined by level of development. Yeah, I love those, you know? I think there are ways that we can crack that heart and say, okay, truth is truth. You're not going to get around it. And that is a good way to do it, I think. So thank you very much, everyone. Bless you. Thank you for listening to the ERLC podcast. To subscribe to the podcast and find more information about human dignity in all stages of life, visit ERLC.com.